Hello and welcome to Where Do We Begin? I'm Brooke Stratton, I'm a long jumper, and I'll be representing Australia at the Tokyo 2021 Olympic Games. Thanks for that, Brooke. My name is Harper, my co-host on this tremendous, beautiful day. Goes by the name of Lockie. How are you, Lockie? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Harps. I don't know if I'd go with tremendous day, seeing as it's currently night and the other sun has gone away. But look, apart from that and that slight irritation that you just said that, I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm going very well. I think we actually started doing these intros in the morning. It's about our 21st take, I reckon. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to getting to this episode. Tell us a little bit about our guest, mate. Oh, Brooke is just amazing. You know, she's the current uh, long jump record in Australia. Um, she's got a great story, you know, talks about all through like the hardships that she suffered and numerous health battles while still performing at the elite level. You know, it's absolutely amazing. And I just can't wait for us to crack in and for everybody to listen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Australian long jump record holder. If you didn't hear Lockie the first time, I reckon we should just get into this beautiful episode. Let's dive in. Over the last year and a bit, Where Do We Begin really has grown in leaps and bounds. We've had so much fun with so many guests that we really would have never imagined, uh, never dreamed about having on the show. Uh, kept on expanding our horizons, especially in this Olympic series. And this guest really is one that we're truly proud and excited to be bringing to you. She's a long jumper, Australia's best ever, actually, who will be heading to Tokyo very, very soon. I'm looking forward to getting into this one. So without further ado, Brooke Stratton, welcome to Where Do We Begin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pre- pleasure, Brooke. And Harper, you were sweating all night writing that one up, and I can tell you, mate, <laughs> it was awesome, so keep it up. And I'll tell you what, I'm just excited that finally we're doing a sport that I think you and I at least both somewhat know about. You know, I'm sure we've all at least attempted it. Back of the uh, the Athletics Carnival, I know I can confirm yep. I came fifth out of our uh, seventh in my <laughs> year four school sports uh, event. So can you, can you explain a little bit about long jumping, please, Brooke? Yeah, so um, essentially long jump is – all about really running down a runway um, and taking off from a mat when you're in little athletics. Um, But senior age groups do use a board, uh, which is 20 centimetres in length. And then, yeah, basically just launching yourself into a sandpit with the aim of trying to jump as far as you can. I don't know why. I don't know if our listeners got the same impression, but when you're saying running down the runway, I was just imagining an aeroplane and (laughs) launching as well, launching into the air. I guess there are some sort of similarities between, I guess, aeroplanes and long jumpers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Olympics, you get three goes, is that right? Uh, and then your best one counts? Yes. Yeah, so um, there's a qualifying round at most major championships. So every athlete gets three jumps in the qualifying round. Um, and then the top 12 jumpers will then move through to the final, which is either the following day or there's uh, generally a day in between qualifying round and final where every jumper does get an additional three jumps there and then they'll take the top eight best jumps through for another three jumps yeah unreal and we're sure you'll be making the fo- the finals in uh tokyo and i've got a question about that so you get three different jumps is there like different strategies that you have for each jump or is it as simple as just trying to jump as far as you can on each one yeah so the first jump generally i like to call a safe jump so it's all about just getting a jump on the board um because it does put a lot of pressure on you when you fail your first jump or if you stuff up your first jump, you then only really have two more jumps to try and get things right. So, yeah, so I like to call it a safe jump round one. Um, If you do get that safe jump out, um, then you can really just go for it on your second and third. So, yeah. Uh, Are you someone who likes to uh, jump before all your competitors or kind of jump at the end? Which one do you usually uh, prefer when you're – competing yeah that's a great question um generally i actually like to compete at the start of the jumping order so i just love just getting out there just getting it done um but there are also perks of being last on the jumping order because then you get to sort of see however other athletes jumping and um i guess you get a bit of a gauge as to how things are going and and how the results are panning out. So, yeah, it probably depends on the level of competition really. I think at major championships um, it is, I guess, more beneficial being towards the end of the order. But, 
I think just at local competitions, I like just being one of the first to get out there and jump while you're sort of warmed up in the zone, ready to go after your warm up. Yeah, we love that, Brooke. We love that setting the tone, going first and uh, scaring off the other competitors when you blitz <laughs> them with a massive jump first, like, even though you're going safe, as you said earlier. And But you're also a talented triple jump, uh, if I'm correct, like you competed in the uh, the Youth Oceania, Oceania um, Championship. So what was sort of the decision to go down long jump instead of triple jump? Yeah, it was a pretty hard decision. Um, as a junior, I really sort of just dabbled in a whole range of different events. Um, so one of those being triple jump. I also did hurdles as well and a few sprint events here and there. But I think with long jump, <clears throat> I think I was probably most competitive at it. Um, but it also wasn't as hard on my body as well. So with triple jump, obviously having the three phases, um, there's so much impact going through your body on each phase. And I do remember when I was, I think, 18 or 19 years of age, um, I hurt my ankle doing triple jump just because I'd landed a little bit funny, I think, on the step phase. And I think that was probably the the reason that I did make the decision to step away from triple jump because I just didn't know whether my body was going to be able to handle training for both long jump and triple jump. And at that point in my career as well, I realised that I couldn't do both because the training did differ slightly as well. So, um, yeah, I think long jump's always sort of been the event that I've enjoyed the most. So I thought that was the one that I'd stick with. Yeah, now throw it back. Right to the start. So, by all reports, you're one of those kids who I guess all the other kids are a bit jealous of with your freakish talent uh, in athletics uh, and smashing all these under eight records, all uh, all kinds of things, really. So, how do you get into the sport, really? Is it just little athletics and it kind of just shot up from there? Yeah, so it started through little athletics. My older brother, who's two years older than me, uh, was encouraged by my parents to give little athletics a go. And so I'd go down and watch him um, every weekend. I was obviously not old enough to get started myself, um, but I just, I was so jealous of of being down there and, and watching him have so much fun with his friends and just get involved in every event that was on offer. And, yeah, it made me so eager to get involved when I was old enough. So um, when I was five years of age, I joined the Nunawading Little Athletics Club. And, yeah, and I guess the rest is history. So that's that's where it all began for me. Yeah, now, so something I'm really interested in, there's, it, it's in almost all junior sports or all junior sports really and especially for girls uh from especially from what we've heard uh from other guests we've had on the podcast there's uh lots of kind of things that people say about this being a some people say there's a bit of a toxic culture in terms of uh, the kind of micromanagement that coaches and maybe parents they're heaping pressure on their young kids uh to i guess everyone wants their kids to be at the olympics so there's massive pressure in certain situations for some people so is that something that you felt and what's your whole opinion on people who have that take yeah you definitely see that a lot in junior sport uh, especially in track and field you get the parents that I guess they forget about you know the real reason why their kids are doing little athletics and it's because of the enjoyment side of things. Um, they do it because they want to have fun with their friends. They want to strive, you know, for personal best week in, week out. And I think some parents just really try and suck the fun out of um, their kids' sport because they take it way too seriously. And I think, you know, when, you know, kids are so young, it's it really should be, you know, just let them go out there, enjoy themselves, no pressure. Um, but, yeah, some parents just expect their kids to be, you know, Olympians from such a young age. They expect them to to be, you know, breaking records and, and training super hard when they're so young. And I think, you know, so many athletes don't make it to the senior levels because their junior sport's been ruined by their parents. So for me, I was super lucky um, that my parents were pretty much the com- complete opposite. Um, they allowed me and my three other siblings just to do what we wanted to do. They let us enjoy it. We all, you know, trained together as a family and it was just super fun. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm still doing it to this day. 
Yeah, unreal, unreal. And I think, um, yeah, parents are notorious for having such high expectations. And you're involved in junior co- sport coaching now, aren't you? And you're an ambassador for sports school, um, Victoria. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I guess, have, is that something that you're sort of trying to take on board when you've been coaching and that trying to manage parents' expectations and trying to make the environment as fun as possible? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. Um, I think, you know, you can't em- emphasise the fact that sport should all all be, sorry, it should be all about enjoyment um, from a young age. And that's something that I try and incorporate within within my training when I am coaching younger athletes, make it fun for them, make them want to come back week in, week out, because you know, if they're not enjoying it, if they're experiencing pressure from parents or, or coaches, they're not going to want to return. And I think, you know, it's so important to try and uh, get athletes or kids in it for the long run because, you know, they're the future of our sport and we need them, you know, in the years to come. Yeah, and you are coached by your dad. Uh, you have been all the way through, I believe. What's that like? Because it must be quite strange. I guess you haven't really known anything else, but it must be uh, quite strange being in this high-pressure, cutthroat, professional environment with one of your closest family members who you've known all your life. So what's that like? Yeah, it's, it, it works really well for both of us. Um, so he basically took me on as my coach when I was maybe 10 or 11 years of age. Um, I spent a little bit of time working with some coaches just at my local little athletics club, um, but it wasn't until my dad started coaching me. I guess I was old enough to start taking things a little bit more seriously. Um, and, yeah, like, it was all about having fun. Um, you know, my squad basically involved myself and my siblings really. So we'd all just go down to training and you know, we'd go down and kick the footy and, um, you know, just take a ball down there. And it was, yeah, it was just so much fun. And, um, yeah, and I think the reason why it's worked so well for both of us is because my dad knows me so well as both a person and an athlete. He knows, you know, the struggles that I've had to overcome and he's sort of been there behind closed doors to see, you know, the hardships and and everything that goes on, I guess, in the background. So he, you know, was able to modify my training and, make you know slight changes if need be over the years he still does to this day as well um and you know I think that's part of the reason why as I said I'm still doing it because you know although I'm getting a bit older and the body's starting to break down a little bit um (laughs) I'm, I'm still enjoying what I do and I guess you know I couldn't see myself doing anything else and if it ain't broke, why fix it? Because it's obvious that you're obviously doing quite well. You know, you're off to the Olympics in a couple of weeks' time. And I'd just love to know, um, your dad, did he have an athletics background before he started coaching you? Or was he like, did he have a sporting background? So he didn't have a background in athletics, but he did play football and cricket himself. Um, from what I have heard, he was a bit of a legend. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he, he was always involved in sport, as was my mum, and I guess that's why us kids, you know, followed the same passions as what they did. But, yeah, he's basically learned everything he knows to this day about long jump and athletics along the way. He's had some pretty pretty fantastic mentors, so, it's uh, yeah, it's been really cool. Is he coaching you full-time or has he got something on the side? No, so he actually works full time. So, yeah, so it's it does get quite challenging for him being able to, I guess, have the time to be able to put into myself as an athlete and the rest of our squad as well uh, on top of his full time work hours. But, yeah, we, we make it work and um, we've got a pretty good schedule at the moment, which allows him to be able to get his work done and him to be able to get down to training as well and be there for me and also be able to travel the world with me in a non-COVID time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's awesome that he's managed to balance that. And something that I've really enjoyed speaking to elite athletes, it's funny how their training methods, because obviously long jumps completely different from the sports that a lot of us like sort of did growing up. So I guess what do you do to be able to like achieve and perform at the elite level? 
Yeah, so with long jump, um, it involves a lot of strength work, a lot of speed um, and power training as well. So, yeah, so it's it's a pretty, I guess, fun sport to, to be involved in because there is a heap of variety in training. Um, so I'll spend two days a week in the gym and I'll spend... I'll do one jump session, a plyometric session and two speed sessions. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's kind of, yeah, as I said, there's a lot of variety there and um, I love what I do. I, I love, you know, waking up every day and being able to, to I guess, train hard and um, strive to better myself day in, day out. What does the kind of perfect, perfectly built long jumping athlete look like? Uh, obviously, it's a jumping sport, so pretty strong the legs, I'd imagine. What's the kind of height that's ideal and is, is there a typical build that's really ideal for a long jumper? Yeah, I don't know if there is an ideal build because long jumpers come in so many different shapes and sizes. Um, I guess for me, you know, I'm probably one of the shorter long jumpers. Um being 165 centimetres tall, uh, you can get some quite tall long jumpers as well that, you know, I guess, you know, are super strong and powerful as well. Um, but, yeah, I think for me, you know, I would probably like to have been a little bit taller, had a little bit more uh, length in the legs. But, yeah, it's um, I guess there's a mixed bag of different physiques, but, yeah, obviously have to be extremely strong and powerful in the legs and also have a, a strong core as well to be able to withstand that force on impact. Sorry, the impact on takeoff. <laughs> Can't even speak today. <laughs> ah, it's all good, all good. You're smashing it. And I guess um, when researching for as part of this interview, something I, I saw a really interesting article in that as part of your preparation, you've been training in heat chambers to prepare for the humidity in Tokyo. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I've only, I've been to Japan once and it was in February, so I guess the heat wasn't really something on the on my mind then. Yeah, so I actually haven't been to Japan, um, I guess, during their summer, but from what I've heard, it's going to be extremely humid and hot in Tokyo whilst the Olympics are on. So, yeah, so I've been doing a little bit of heat chamber work at the Victorian Institute of Sport um, where I've been training more so just riding a bike or walking on a treadmill because you can't necessarily go and do long jump um, <laughs> in a heat chamber. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so just trying to acclimatise to those really hot, humid environments um, before I head over to Tokyo. But I think being a long jumper, it's probably not so important to, I guess, train in those warmer, hotter environments because – you know, it's not as if we're going out and we're running a marathon in that real hot weather. Um, you know, we can rest and find shade in between jumps. We can, you know, use cooling strategies to cool ourselves down between jumps. Um, so, yeah, but I do think it's, it's beneficial and um, it's been really cool to be given that opportunity through the Victorian Institute of Sport to help prepare for Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, that's just awesome. And something that I'm... Super interesting and in kind of all sports, I guess. So you, you constantly see like who has the world record or the Australian record or whatever kind of record at a certain time. But obviously you're, you're training. You train way more than you're in competition. So does it ever happen that you actually break your own personal best or break some kind of record in training, but it's just not official? So it's not an official record? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for me, no. Like – in training, I actually don't jump off a full run-up in training really ever. Um, so it's something that only really occurs oh, like very, very uh, I guess, probably just before a, a competition if I haven't um, competed yet. So first comp for the season, maybe I'll come off a full run-up in training. But it's something that, yeah, I don't really do very often. So... And when I do jump off a full run up in training, normally I'm well, well, well below my best. And I don't know if it's because, um, 
you know, the adrenaline of, of being out there competing. Uh, it does sort of lift you up a little bit, having atmosphere around you, whereas in training it's kind of just like, you know, you're jumping against yourself. You probably don't have that, I guess, yeah, that little bit of extra um, hype. But also I guess in training I, I wouldn't completely taper to jump in training like generally you know I've had a a gym session prior or um, a hard running session the day before so I wouldn't necessarily have fresh legs uh, for my jump sessions uh, in training so that could potentially be the reason but I think you know long jump there's so much impact that goes through your body on takeoff especially from a full run-up when you have more speed behind you so I think especially I guess at this point in my career it's about trying to protect my body and just save those full run-up jumps for competition Mm, and you do have all these people that are their job is to protect your body and get the best out of you you've got this big team around you like any individual athlete at the highest level does and something that is very different to the typical team sport environment is that it's all based around you all based around getting the best out of you so What's that like kind of having everyone's, I guess, their jobs and hinging on your performance and uh, how you go in competition? Yeah, yeah. I'm obviously super grateful for the team that I've got around me. Um, Athletics is quite an individual and lonely sport. Um, It's not like we have you know, our teammates that we can rely on and we can, you know, grasp motivation from. It's, yeah, it's very sort of individualised and everything sort of comes down to to us uh, when it comes to performance. But, yeah, I think it's super important having a great support network around you, um, not only for individual sports, it's it's just as important for team sports, but I think... um, yeah, for me, I've got such a great support network around me and I'm, I'm forever grateful for them because, you know, it's it's what you need as a professional athlete. You need the best people around you that are going to help you get to the, to the top. So um, I definitely wouldn't have been able to achieve what I have to this point in my career if it wasn't for the fantastic team around me um, and that team involves physio, massage therapist, um, dietitian, sports psychologist, coach, strength and conditioning coach, um, gosh, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a great team behind you and I can imagine that that support team is so important and not only when you're achieving those highs but also the lows of sport. And I know that you've had a few like, I guess, hard times in particular back in 2012, 2013 when you were um, having like low energy levels and you couldn't quite get diagnosed, you weren't too sure, like the GP didn't really diagnose you properly. Can you talk a little bit about that and your uh, struggles with the uh, health during that period? Yeah, yeah, sure. So in 2011, I actually travelled over to Germany with the under-20 Australian uh, athletics team. And whilst I was there, I broke the under-20 Australian long jump record with a distance of 6 metres 60. And that distance was only five centimetres off the qualifying standard for the London Olympics, which was the following year um, in 2012. So I was almost at the cusp of qualifying for the Olympics. Um, You know, five centimetres, it doesn't sound like much in long jump. So, you know, within that one-year period, that's all I really had to improve. So I definitely thought it was possible um, until I started uh, you know, feeling really unwell sort of through the remainder of 2011, um, was really struggling to get out of bed of a morning. Um, you know, energy levels were, were really low. I just, I was not myself at all. Um, really struggled with motivation because I was feeling so unwell all the time. My performances were plateauing. Um, this sort of went all through 2012, as well so I wasn't actually able to compete to the best of my ability and to my potential and that resulted in me missing out on the Olympic team which I was I was gutted about Um, but I guess there was obviously reason behind that and yeah basically all through 2012 I was just extremely frustrated because I didn't know 
why I was feeling so unwell. I'd go to the doctors. Um, I was there on numerous occasions just asking what is going on with my body, like can you give me some answers. I'd have blood tests after blood tests and the only real thing that would come back was that I had low iron um, and, yeah, like low vitamin D and vitamin B12 and I sort of thought that, okay, well, maybe this is why I'm, I'm feeling tired all the time. Like maybe this is the reason. Um, but I was also getting like some gut issues as well and knew that it was something more than that. So it wasn't until actually May 2013 I was sent off to see a gastroenterologist who then um, sent me off to get a gastroscopy, which then showed that I had um, some damage to my small intestine villi meaning that I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So, yeah, it was a, it was a testing time. <laughs> yeah, so going gluten-free, which is just a huge change for anyone, whether it's a lifestyle choice or a requirement, really, it's a massive change. So how have you dealt with that over the past, what, eight years or so? How much of a change has that been for you? Oh, it, it honestly changed my life um, going gluten-free. I think having struggled for so long, I guess not knowing what was going on with my body, um, you know, the frustrations of not knowing why I couldn't compete at my best and also, yeah, not being able to reach my potential in in track and field. It was really frustrating. Um, as soon as I changed my diet, it was I, I noticed uh, basically – instant improvements in my health uh it probably took a good six to 12 months to start feeling completely normal but avoiding gluten straight away I I saw a a pretty big initial change um and yeah I guess you know I was really defueling my body um every day thinking that I was fueling it with you know things like oats and bread and cereals and pasta um you know all the things that you think are going to fuel your body they were actually like all the foods that I couldn't actually eat and were damaging my insides so yeah it, it was a big shock initially um having to completely change my diet up because you know for so long I'd I'd sort of I guess just eaten the way I'd eaten and then, you know, was told that I couldn't eat this, couldn't eat that. And then it was also just about educating myself and understanding, you know, the foods that I couldn't have. But it wasn't just that as well. It was understanding, you know, cross-contamination and how, you know, I can't put my gluten-free toast in a toaster that's had non-gluten-free toast in it because it will contaminate the toast and one breadcrumb can cause damage to your small intestine so yeah it was a lot to deal with initially I remember I traveled to Taiwan I think about two weeks after I was diagnosed and I had no idea what I could eat what I couldn't eat I was trying to read food labels and they were just all in like symbols and it was it was an absolute nightmare but over the years it's definitely got so much easier um and I've been able to work with a dietitian at the Victorian Institute of Sport who's been able to really um I guess help me with that side of things yeah it it must be so hard as a professional athlete because obviously carbohydrates are such important foods and like you were saying you listed them off before bread cereal etc which are which are unfortunately full of gluten and well you had a chat with um a cyclist carly the other day like her usual breakfast was like steak and rice so what so what sort of food do you use now to fuel sort of your like training days steak and breakfast i mean steak and rice for breakfast yeah 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 or salmon steak steak or salmon Oh, wow. <laughs> That's different. Um, yeah, so for me, um, I actually did an oats challenge not too long ago, which meant, so I think it's only one in 10 celiacs can't tolerate oats. So um, for, for me to have been able to eat oats, I had to do a pre and post gastroscopy and eat oats for 12 weeks um, just to see how my body well, if my body had a reaction to oats. So my body didn't actually, which was um, amazing. So I was able to reintroduce oats into my diet. So I went almost seven years, I think, without 
being able to eat oats, that was a bit of a struggle. Um, but, yeah, like I, I eat a pretty pretty well-balanced diet. Um, as I said, I work with a, a sports dietitian um, through the Victorian Institute of Sport who's been absolutely fantastic. So she's basically written me out a, a meal plan um, which just allows me to fuel my body around training as best as possible. So just making sure that, you know, pre-session I'm getting in enough of the right foods, um, you know, carbohydrates and also post-session getting in enough protein as well or just enough protein as a whole over the days. Now, Hashimoto's disease, uh, it sounds Japanese, but it's definitely not as exciting <laughs> as the Tokyo Olympics. But what, what, what is Hashimoto's disease? Because I know you suffer from that. I've got no idea what it is. You want to dive into, into that for a bit? Into that for us for a bit? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm struggling to speak today, don't worry. Um, <laughs> not that Harper. Yeah, so Hashimoto's disease, it's it's basically an autoimmune disease. So I think I'm probably not going to be that fantastic at explaining this, but um, basically your body attacks your thyroid gland um, and it doesn't produce enough of the thyroid hormone. So, um, yeah, so it requires me um, as an individual to take um, thyroxidin, which is a um, medication to help my body, I guess, produce more of the thyroid hormone. So, yeah, so um, basically some of the symptoms that I was getting with Hashimoto's um, was just, you know, extreme fatigue, brain fog. Um, you can also gain weight as well because I think it leads to metabolism slowing down. Um, just like, yeah, feeling the cold quite a lot. Um, dry skin. So, yeah, there, there were a few um, symptoms that I guess towards the end of 2017 had started to pop up and I realised that I wasn't feeling that great as well. I was also like really irritable and moody and it was, yeah, it was, I guess it, it made me realise that I needed to go and delve a little deeper into, you know, what else was going on with my body at this period of time because, yeah, I was just feeling like really fatigued again and I knew something wasn't right and that's when I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and since I've started the medication, um, I've been feeling a lot better. It's just been a bit of a battle with trying to get the dosage right. Um, so over the last, I guess, four or so years um it's just been about i've had numerous blood tests um or very frequent blood tests i should say just to make sure that everything's all good especially around major championships and during the athletic season because that's when i need to be feeling my best yeah wow it's it's amazing with all these health complications you're still able to achieve at the uh, the highest level and i guess i'll catch us up to speed so now well, it's 2013 you've been diagnosed as a celiac you've managed that you've got the nutrition right you're not having steak and rice for breakfast but you know you're, you're smashing <laughs> it you're smashing it and now so it comes up you've made the commonwealth games team in glasgow you know must be feeling sky high but then unfortunately can you do you want to fill in the rest yeah, so I literally had just got my health back on track. I was feeling myself again. Um, I hadn't jumped a PB in the sandpit since I think it was 2011. So it had been it had been such a long time. Um, and yeah, qualified for the Commonwealth Games, jumped a PB of six meters seventy, absolutely over the moon. Um, so this was in April 2014, um, and in May I was doing a deadlift in the gym and obviously like I probably wasn't lifting with fantastic technique like the weight was probably a bit too heavy for me in reality um but yeah felt a little niggle in my back and just basically decided to ignore it for a while because I had the Commonwealth Games only a couple of months away um so Kept training um, to the point where my back pain got so bad that I needed to actually address it and go and see someone. So booked in to see um, a physio at the VIS and the physio at the time just thought I had a bit of like 
an irritated joint in my back and I was like, oh, sweet, like surely some anti-inflammatories will be be enough to settle it down. So I started taking some anti-inflams and that really settled it. Like I could basically just train as normal. Like my back didn't feel fantastic, but I think what it was doing was just masking the pain. So I thought I was okay. Um, But I did end up getting a scan on my back just to be sure that it wasn't anything serious. And yeah, literally within, within maybe a day or so, um, found out I had a stress fracture in my back and I remember just sitting um, at the VIS in one of the um, medical rooms and have the doctor tell me that I've got a stress fracture in my L4 vertebrae in my back. I was absolutely gutted. Like I, I didn't expect that because the physio didn't actually think that it was anything serious. Like if they hadn't maybe given me the heads up and said, oh, you know, it could be a stress fracture, then I would have probably been able to deal with that reality a little bit better. But it was honestly the biggest shock of my life. Like it was it was a really horrible, horrible position to be in because, you know, I'd just overcome, you know, the health issues that I was dealing with. I thought that things were finally on the up. Um, and yeah, to have that thrown at me, like I, I didn't deal with it very well at all. Um, yeah. yeah lucky i don't know if you feel the same way but all we've been talking about really we've got the australian record log jumper on the show all we've been talking about is frustrating depressing things getting us all downbeat so i want to lift the spirits a bit Uh, spirit lifter yeah the spirit lifter that's what they call me so (laughs) 6.7 meters in april 2014 just a couple years later five months out from the olympics i believe not just the pb an Australian record stands to this day, was standing for a long time until you beat it, 7.05 metres, which is just phenomenal. Like, that is almost jumping from Coburg to the peninsula where Lockie is. It's huge. Um, so t- tell us about that day and breaking that record. That would take you four jumps, I reckon, Harps, seven metres. <laughs> yeah, probably would. <laughs> um, oh, honestly, like, I still can't believe that I jumped that distance. It was something that I didn't even know that it was possible for me to be able to jump that far. Like obviously I, I had the goal of of getting to the seven-metre mark, um, but I didn't expect to, to have achieved that so early on in my career. Um, and, yeah, I was obviously in, in great shape at the time. I'd had a really solid block of training leading into the Australian domestic season um, through 2016. Each competition I was kind of just getting better and better um, distance-wise and, you know, I had so much momentum behind me going into this competition in Perth and I remember saying to my um, partner on the phone at the time, um, I'm going to jump big today. Like I just know it. Like I just feel it. Like I was so confident in myself and I don't think I've ever had so much self-belief either. Um, So for me to to be able to tell someone that I'm going to jump big, like that's that's huge Um, because I'm not really that type of person that would speak about those sort of things. So, yeah, went out there. I remember in the warm-up, I was feeling like quite sore in my ankle and I was like, well, like something doesn't feel right. Um, And then, yeah, got out there and literally just felt the best I've ever felt and I was like, you know, going to make the most of this opportunity. It's such a perfect day in Perth. It was like 30 degrees, I think. Had a really nice tailwind down the long jump runway. Um, I remember my first jump of the competition was like it was such an average jump and I can remember hopping out of the pit and I was like, oh, like that wasn't great. And I think it was like 674 or something like that. And I was like, my God, like if I just jumped 674 feeling like that, like if I could get one right, like who knows how far I'm going to jump. And then, yeah, round two just came out and jumped 705 and I knew after I'd hopped out of the pit that it was it was going to be something big, but I didn't, still didn't expect it to be over seven metres. So I just, I just burst into tears. I remember going up to the stand and giving my dad a hug and I just, yeah, I was just absolutely over the moon and just in shock. <laughs> it was just yeah. crazy. 
Yeah, wow, that's amazing. I mean, we got the Australian long jumping record holder. We have the co-host of the ninth biggest sports podcast in Ukraine. Yeah, it's just a couple of record holders right here, eh, Harps? Yeah, of course, mate. Um, just quickly, I know uh, Lockie wants to move it on to uh, the 2016 Olympics in a sec, but have you come close to that distance since then? Because um, I was having a look at your stats in Com Games and Olympics. It's all been all around the kind of 6.7, 6.8 mark. 7.05 is just astronomical compared to that. Yeah, depressingly enough, I haven't came as close to it as I would have hoped. Um, I think my closest jump to that 7.05 since has been 6.88, which I did, um, I think it was two weeks prior to Com Games in 2018. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly just been such a pretty crappy time with injuries um, and just, yeah, just dealing with some health issues as well with Hashimoto's and, um yeah, I think I guess with COVID as well last year, it's it's kind of there's been a lot of challenging times, I guess, over the last five years. Um, but I'm really hoping that in the next month and a half, I can really just try and get one of those big jumps out right in time for Tokyo. Yeah, we can't wait. We can't wait. And I guess after the the, uh, the time you set the record, like you said before, it's just a little bit before the Olympics. So you must have just been heading into the 2016 Olympics, brimful of confidence, and you must have just been so excited. First Olympic Games, achieving like your lifelong goal. Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was honestly such a great a dream come true. It was something that I, uh, I guess I had the goal of getting to an Olympic Games since I was in grade one after watching the Sydney Olympics on TV. Um, so that's basically the, the moment in time when I realised that I wanted to be an Olympian. So to have actually been there in Rio, um, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And I walked out into the stadium and I just, I was really struggling to hold back tears because I just, you know, had the realisation that I've, finally did it um and I think that's just the beauty of never giving up um and you know I had my fair fair share of challenges leading into the Olympics but never threw in the towel just kept just kept chipping away at it and um yeah it all really paid off yeah definitely um and I guess after that so you came seventh you made the finals was that sort of what was your goal heading into those Olympics was it to was it, it obviously was to win gold but you must have still been pretty happy to make the long jump finals yeah yeah um I would have obviously loved to have won a medal but being my first Olympics and having not had a heap of um I guess international experience either it was probably something that yeah, I guess to make a final, I was absolutely stoked. Um, I couldn't have, you know, extreme expectations on myself because, you know, first Olympics, I think it was my second senior international competition. So I knew that it was going to be a big ask to compete at my best on the day just because I, I was so nervous. Um, and I think having jumped 705 that year, a lot of people had really high expectations of me. Um and expected me to be able to replicate that performance at an Olympic level as well or on the Olympic stage. So, yeah, so to have come away with seventh, honestly, I I couldn't have asked for more. Um, And I guess, you know, with another opportunity about six, seven weeks away, um, hopefully I can go a little bit better in Tokyo. Six places better, I reckon. Oh, that'd be, uh, that'd be incredible. <laughs> Let's yeah, hope you're, so. You're only like 20, 22, 23 at the time. So I guess you weren't really, you're still a bit of an up and comer then, but now you're really in your prime. And in the 2018 Com Games, uh, you came close to winning gold, uh, which we're hoping you'll do at the Olympics. Uh, we're, we've got high <laughs> hopes. And, but 2018 Com Games, you won silver, uh, home Com Games as well on the Gold Coast. What was that whole experience like? Oh, it was incredible. Um, Definitely the best few weeks of my life. Um, I honestly, yeah, I honestly can't even put into words how special it was to have won that silver medal with a home crowd, with all my, you know, closest friends and family in the crowd supporting, um, you know, being able to share that experience 
with the whole of Australia, really. Um, it's not too often in Australia we get big crowds at athletics competitions. Um, so, yes, to have had a home games with a, a full crowd, it was definitely not like anything else we've ever experienced here. So, yeah, it was, it was honestly such an incredible experience and it's just a shame that if the Olympics come to Brisbane, which I think they're going to announce hopefully soon. 2032. I'll probably probably be a little bit old (laughs) for those Olympics, which is really unfortunate. But, yeah, there's nothing like a home game. So, so grateful to have been given that opportunity. And I guess, yeah, and how do you feel heading into the um, the 2021 Olympics? And I guess what your thought form, like are you happy that like has it worked in your favour that the games have been delayed or has it been a bit detrimental to you and that you were prepared to be absolutely unleashed in Tokyo in July last year? I actually think that it's been a bit of a blessing in disguise having the extra year for me. Um, after the World Champs in Doha in 2019, I was really struggling with my Hashimoto's, I couldn't quite get my dosage right. I think I was a little bit burnt out as well, both physically and mentally. Um, So I had to take a a pretty decent break away from the sport and away from training towards the end of 2019. And it kind of meant that I was playing catch up a little bit all through 2020. Um, During the domestic season last year, I wasn't quite jumping the distances that I knew I was capable of. So I just, yeah, I just don't know if I was quite in the shape that I was this year. Um, So to have had that extra year, being able to put in a real solid foundation all through 2020, just be at home, you know, get, yeah, get some solid training done, not have, I guess, the interruption of competitions and having to sort of taper for the um, competition blocks. It was just, yeah, just months and months and months of, yeah, of good training. And I was also able just to stay, you know, really focused and put a lot of time and effort into things like my recovery and diet whilst just being here at home because a lot of a lot of my career been, I guess, living out of a suitcase, spending a lot of time overseas. So it was nice just to be able to be at home, just focus 100% on training, um, you know, enjoy a little bit more downtime than normal. Um, But it's just been a little bit unfortunate this year because I've had some knee injuries that have made it really difficult to get, um, I guess, the specific long jump training in that I've needed to get in. Um, So all through the domestic season, I was dealing with some issues with the joint capsules at the back of both my knees. which meant that I couldn't really do a heap of high-intensity running, um, just that initial acceleration at the start of a runway or at the start of a sprint was giving me, like, these real uncomfortable stabbing pains at the back of my knees. Um, So, yeah, so my training was, like, really modified for for a good four months. Um, And I guess, yeah, I've just sort of been trying to make my way back into full training over the last, I guess, six seven weeks since nationals so it's um it's things are definitely moving in the right direction I guess we've only got um what like seven weeks six and a half weeks until the athletics kicks off in Tokyo so just gonna have to really make the most of of the next month and a half and I'm sure I can get to Tokyo in in pretty good shape Mm, that that pre-COVID break that you just mentioned earlier um due to your health issues. I'm not sure how long that was. It would be interesting to know that. And as well, especially uh, kind of resetting after that break, well, what's your goal going into these Olympics? Are you aiming for a medal? Obviously, gold is like a dream, but what are you really aiming for? Yeah, I, I would obviously love to bring home a medal of any colour. Um, gold would obviously be nice, but to bring home a silver or a bronze would be, oh, it would be an absolute dream. Um, having placed seventh in Rio five years ago now, it's definitely not out of the question. Um, there's so many women jumping huge distances at the moment in women's long jumps. So it's going to be... It's going to be a really tough ask, 
Um, but, you know, I've proved that I can jump over seven metres before. I've just got to be able to do it on the day. And if I could do that, you know, anything's possible. Just quickly, how, how long was the break that you had? Was it a few months or? Oh, so it, it was about four weeks. So okay. to me, it's it's a long break. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd probably rarely ever have longer than a week or two weeks max off, um, you know, after a major championship so this was like yeah it was it was a good a good four weeks um so yeah it was it was a big one okay and so you're coming home from tokyo you're bringing home a medal harper and i we, we know it'll be gold you can be modest but we'll say gold because <laughs> we're, we're confident and uh what, what's your plans next post olympics what are you doing yeah, post-Olympics. Um, well, next year's going to be a, a pretty big year. We've got the Com Games in Birmingham and there's also a World Championships as well in athletics. So, um, yeah, so obviously I'll have a little bit of a break post-Tokyo. It probably depends how the body holds up, but I'll have to do two weeks hotel quarantine which I'm not really looking forward to so I guess that in itself will probably be a nice a nice break um but I'm actually getting married in September so that's gonna I did check my mailbox for an invite before harps still hasn't arrived it must it must still be in the mail it'll be there soon (laughs) yeah they're having delays at the moment I think that's super exciting geez it'll be a bit 2021 is going to be a great year for you then gold medal wedding (laughs) yeah you can only hope um yeah there's still obviously a lot of uncertainties with covid so let's hope that it can all go ahead as planned um so yeah there's, there's going to be a bit going on uh this year but yeah looking forward to it though yeah, 100%. And our, our final question, is, which is, in my opinion, one of our most important, just do you have any like life philosophy, any words that you live your life by? Um, oh, I think my life philosophy is just live life to the fullest. Um, you know, do what makes you happy in life because, you know, there's no point living life if you're unhappy. So, um, you know, surround yourself with people that lift you up, that make you smile and, yeah, do things that, that you enjoy. Yeah, awesome. I love that. And uh, like Lockie said, big, big year for you coming up, marrying the triathlete of your dreams, taking home a gold medal, <laughs> appearing on the Where Do We Begin podcast, of course. But the favourite segment that we have here on the Where Do We Begin podcast is our world-famous quiz, and I'll hit the music. That was smooth. Okay. No, no oh, technical yes. glitches there. <laughs> no, none whatsoever. We want a tight ship here at Where Do We Begin. But Brooke, I don't know if you've listened to the show before. Probably haven't. Uh, if any, all of our other guests are anything to judge by. But uh, our <laughs> final segment on the show is the quiz. So I'm going to pit you against Lockie. Uh, I've got five questions, uh, all. Uh, with some loose connection to you and your career. Uh, and it, it gets pretty weird and wacky, uh, so I'm pitting <laughs> you against each other. Your name is your buzzer, so just buzzing with Lockie or Brooke. And uh, we'll start with question one. Do you ready Wait, to go, am I, am I buzzing with oh, Brooke? Gosh. Is that my buzzer? Uh, Sorry, well, I just got confused. Well, a bit, bit weird, confused. but go with Lockie, I reckon. It's a safe option. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, we'll start with uh, question one. So uh, I'll just preface this by saying sorry to Ashley Martin if he's listening because Ashley Martin is the uh, the principal of Caulfield Grammar, uh, your old high school, I believe. So he's the current principal there. So let's just say in a bit of a hypothetical situation, uh, if Ashley Martin, principal of Caulfield Grammar, if he was suffering from a bit of hair loss and he wanted to consult with an Ashley and Martin hair loss specialist, which location would be quickest for him to drive to from the Caulfield campus. So I'm going to give you multiple choice. Uh, so is it A, the Dandenong Ashley and Martin Centre? B, the Gladstone Park Ashley and Martin Centre? C, the Melbourne CBD Ashley and Martin Centre? Or D, the South Melbourne Ashley and Martin Centre? Brooke. Brooke. I have a feeling it might be D. D, South Melbourne, is 11 minutes, and it is absolutely correct. Oh, that's the one I was going to go. Very good stuff. Great stuff. Uh, 
Nice work. Uh, uh, yeah, just, just, just got in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just gone in. Uh, 17 minutes to the Melbourne CBD, Ashley and Martin, for old Ashley Martin, the principal of Caulfield Grammar there. But anyway, we'll move to question two. And, of course, I uh, forgot to say the, the quiz is sponsored by our Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin if you want to help us out there. But we'll move on to question two. So uh, I believe it's your birthday the 12th of July. Is that right? Yes, correct. Happy birthday. Okay, so... Yeah, happy birthday for the 12th <laughs> oh, of July. Oh, thank you. Almost a, <laughs> You're a month just early. Just under a month early. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> uh, so on the 12th of July, just a few years ago in 1902, Australian Parliament passed what monumental law becoming only the second country in the world to do so? Which year? 1902. Uh, lucky. Was that, that wasn't when we became um, a buddy, you know, the – no, that was 1901. Like, Brooke, Brooke can <laughs> you're, go. You're the guy who's got to give me the answer. Oh, okay, Brooke. I have no go. idea. Lucky, you, you go for it. Uh, Second country in the no world. So it's a huge thing. It was a huge thing. I d- Still is a huge thing, really. I'm talking about when Australia became a federation. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, uh, federation. I oh, am I've got not to talk about that, so that is incorrect. <clears throat> uh, Brooke, do you want to just take a, a stab in the dark at this one? I don't even know where to begin. Lead? Uh, that's, that's the name of the uh, podcast. So very nice. Uh, where do we begin with this answer? Uh, do, do you want to do you just want to have a wild stab, or should I move on to question three? I don't. I don't even know what to have a wild stab about. Yeah, because Federation well, was nineteen oh one. So I just nineteen oh two. In nineteen oh, I'll tell you the answer. You don't seem very hopeful. Australia uh, became the second country in the world. Wait, after wait, New wait, wait, wait. Was it to women allow women to vote? Was that it? L- Lucky, I believe you've already given an answer. I know, but I'm just uh, wondering if I got it right. I can't give you the point, but that is absolutely correct. I think he deserves the point. <laughs> we, we run a very strict operation with the rules here at the Where Do We Begin quiz, so I won't give her the point, and I always like giving our guests the win anyway, so give a bit of a chance <laughs> to you, Brooke. You, you uh, like it. You well, like I it need because it. it. Yeah, Harper likes it because it doesn't happen too often. I always win, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, he, he's on a pretty good run. Uh, anyway, question three, Brooke's still one nil up. So this is a closest to the pin question. So another thing that happened on the 12th of July uh, in 2018, actually, a man by the name of Sridhar Chilal cut his left hand's fingernails. And they weren't just any left hand fingernails. It was the first time those fingernails had been trimmed for 66 years. And he held a world record for the longest fingernails on a single hand. So closest to the pin, what was the combined length of his fingernails on his left hand? Lucky, uh, I'm going to go. Oof, I'm an, I'm going to go. Two eighty millimeters. Two hundred eighty millimeters is incorrect, <clears throat> but it's closest to the pin. So, uh, book, want to have a shot? So, I'm not sure if this would be extreme, but if every fingernail was a meter long. Be five metres all up. So is five metres your answer? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got to give you the point then. Uh, that's it's not correct, but it is even <laughs> higher than that. It's nine hundred nine point six centimetres, oh. which is just <laughs> insane. Uh, the pictures kind of gross me out a bit. So if you yeah, that's a bit you disgusting. Up, it, I'll, yeah, tell, it's a, I'll really, tell you what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Brooke long jump over them. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'd probably I'd probably set records if I was jumping over that. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You set a world record man or woman around the world. It would be phenomenal. But uh, <laughs> just quickly, apparently, uh, he, he was growing them since he was fourteen in 1952. After being told uh, told off by a teacher for accidentally breaking his long nail, uh, but now he's got like massive health issues and he can't use his hand at all because of his fingernails. But anyway, oh uh, we'll, move, we'll move to uh, question four. Uh, Brooks 2-0 up now. Got a sizable lead going on here. But question four, of course, you beat the uh, Australian record on the 12th of March 2016. So another thing that happens on the 12th of March is uh, the island nation of Mauritius celebrating their Independence Day on the 12th of March. Uh, so in which ocean? Does Mauritius lie? Can you Lucky. tell me? Lucky. Is it the oh, 
Mauritius. I know that's um for, like off Fran- like France is the colony, and I know it's near Reunion Island. It's sort of around there. Is it the Indian Ocean? The Indian Ocean is absolutely correct. Very good stuff. Oh, congrats. Trimming the lead back to 2-1, unlike that man with his fingernails. So uh, we'll move to question five. Uh, but, Lockie, you're still in with a shot at the bit, win. Yeah, of bit, course, a bit of a know. backhanded congrats from Brooke, I reckon. Uh, Yeah, we'll move move to question five, which is, of course, the who am I question. And Lockie's still in with a shot at winning because I'm going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues, all leading to who I am, of course. And this who am I, Lockie, you haven't had this who am I before. It's a bit of a different one. Decided to mix it up a bit. So uh, for each point clue, I'm going to give you the lyrics to one of this uh, musical artist's songs. So like a few lines of lyrics. And then uh, you can go buzz in at whatever points uh, you'd like to. Bro, um, congratulations. So- You're going to win. <laughs> I've got no idea. Uh, I'd say you'd get it at the end, Lockie, but it's just a question of whether you can take the win from it. But uh, I'll start with a five-point clue. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, so sorry. Can't you give me one more chance to make it all up to you? Email my heart and say our love will never die. And that I know you're out there and I know that you still care. Lockie. Email me back. Lockie. Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, I, I like your thinking there, mate, but I'm afraid it is <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> uh, Bruce Springsteen, Am I My Heart, uh, <laughs> probably not his kind of song, but uh, Brooks, you've got a free shot at this now. Uh, I can just absolutely whip through these clues. You could take a big win here. I'll Gosh, do the four good point. luck to me. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely know this musical artist, I'll tell you. Uh, so for four points... My body is calling out for you, bad boy. I get the feeling that I just want to be with you. Maybe I'm a freak and I don't really give a damn. I'm crazy as a motherfucker. Bet that on your man. If you like what you see, end your curiosity. Let your mind roam free. Won't you pay attention, please? Should I move to the three-point clue, Brooke? I reckon you might need to. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) Very, very, very tough one. Uh, Can you sing the lyrics? <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that's a bit, asking a bit it much of me, I'm afraid. <laughs> I think we'll need a few more people buying us a coffee if I want to start singing the lyrics. Uh, <laughs> not very willing to do that kind of thing. But for the three-point clue, I cry watching the days. Can't you see I'm a fool in so many ways? Should I move oh, it on to the two-point clue, book? Do you, want, do you want to have a shot? If you buzz in, Lockie comes back into it and you can take the win. Oh, I honestly, like, I have no idea. Like, those lyrics sound more familiar than the first two. But, yeah, you might have to give me. Okay, I'll move on to hints. the two-point clue. <laughs> it's getting late to give you up. I took a sip from my devil's cup. Slowly, it's taking over me. Too high. Can't come down. It's in the air and it's all around. Can you feel me now? Any idea, Brooke? Do you want to have a guess? I don't even know if it's a male or a female artist. Uh. Uh. Well, I'll give you a clue. I'll tell you that it's a female artist. Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. Um. Shall I move on to the one-point clue then? Yeah, you might, you might have to. <laughs> okay, I, I hope you get it here. If you get it wrong here and then Lockie gets it right, we'll go to a tiebreaker question because I think you're only 2-1 yeah. up if I'm correct uh, in saying that. So for the one Do you have any two, idea though, Lockie? Uh, I do, but that's only because okay. I've had a guess based on the initials of your name because I know sometimes Harper does that. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, Britney Spears. Britney Spears? <laughs> It's absolutely correct. And Harper, can you can you confirm that I messaged you how, uh, about three minutes ago saying Britney yes. Spears? <laughs> Lockie's messaged me in the Zoom private chat oh, saying Britney Spears followed by some obscenities that I won't read out because we are, of course, a family-friendly show. Uh, so, uh, yeah, very good stuff, Lockie, but I've got to give Brooke a round of applause. We like that. That's why I, I went Bruce. That's why I went Bruce Springsteen because no. 
Oh, I, I, I like your thinking there. I like your thinking. I I've see. never really done a Who Am I that's like that. But, uh, yeah, of course, Book's taken out the win 3-1. She didn't even need the one-point clue. Lockie just handed it to her on a platter, really. Uh, but anyway, Book, congratulations on your win. Uh, but we've got one final little question to ask of you, Lockie. Do you want to ask it? Uh, yeah, it's just your, uh, your song of the week. Oh, yes, for sure. I can send that through to you guys. Yeah, so we'll, we'll post that song of the week up, uh, our weekly tradition, of course, up on our Instagram page at WDWB Pod. Apart from that, Lockie, you got anything else for Brooke before we let her go? Just, just like to thank you so much, Brooke. You were, you were an awesome uh, quiz competitor. It was an absolute, <laughs> uh, it was an absolute pleasure going to the uh, the gladiatorial battles that they are. They're very intense, and uh, congratulations on the win and good luck at the Olympics. Can't wait to see you win gold. Thanks, Lockie. Thanks so much, guys. Wow, how good is that? You know, thanks so much for coming on, Brooke. You know, I just loved hearing about your story and I learned so much about persistence and resilience and it was just amazing to have you on. I cannot wait to watch you smash it at the Olympics and I'm sure our listeners feel the same. Yeah, guys, keep an eye out for Brooke of the Olympics because she is going to do phenomenal things in Tokyo. It's going to be so, so good. And this episode was so, so good as well. I really enjoyed it. hope you listeners did as well. I uh, had a great time. Lockie, do you want to plug an important uh, few social media platforms of ours? Yeah, of course. Always love it when our listeners get around this, our socials. So you can find us at Facebook at our Where Do We Begin? And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at WDWB Pod. That is WDWB Pod. And I'll tell you what, I'll let you plug something else, Harps. Oh, yeah. Uh, firstly, I'll plug the YouTube, which is also Where Do We Begin? I'll plug the Instagram. That Instagram is very important because the book song of the, song of the Week is up right now over there. But our sponsors for today are, of course, our favorite company out there, our favorite organization, ourselves, our Buy Me A Coffee page. Uh, we're not taking any grubby sponsor money in this Olympic series. Uh, we just want all the support we can possibly get. So uh, if you have two spare dollars or if you have 2,000 spare dollars, we'll take anything. Uh, so you can check us out at buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin. We put a lot of hard work into this as hopefully you can tell and we would really appreciate all the support we can get. If you can't, it'll be Almost as good if you can leave us a five-star review as well, uh, which would just be awesome. Lockie, anything else before we go? I just, as always, I'll have to thank Brooke again for coming on. And, of course, our listeners, you know, it's so we do it for you. And, yeah, just thanks so much for tuning in. There'll be another cracking episode as part of our Olympic series next week. Yeah, it will be awesome. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya.